When was the last time you played? Well, do we have to define what play is first? (laughs) (laughs) We could start there. What is play for you? (laughs) Oh, you know, um, gosh, I love the word. I put it down in a lot of my ways of being in the world or the work that I do. And so it's like this feeling of um, creativity and generation, like around my heart and like a magnet like pulling me forward so I'm leaning into whatever it is if there's no resistance and holding back um and it often involves my hands right so it could be sports like a pickup volleyball game at the beach it could be a game of tag that's spontaneous you know in a family picnic it could be um throwing chalk dust you know the holy chalk that's part of the Indian celebration in the spring um we did that for my daughter's birthday party where like we all just got, wore white t-shirts and got all dirty and let go of being in our heads and let go of having to be adults mm. go of being child and parent like we're all just trying to get each other <laughs> Welcome to Lead with a Dash of Play. Here we talk about the how and why of reclaiming playfulness as adults in order to build more connected, innovative, and human-centered workspaces. Isn't that what leadership is all about? I'm your host, Mary Hendra. Let's play. My guest today is Wendy Horn-Brower. Wendy is a senior facilitator, an experienced designer, an educator, and an entrepreneur. She very specifically works to interactively engage clients in navigating change. And part of what that means is designing more inclusive practices and inspiring more courageous action. She is also the co-host of her own podcast, The Business of Being Human. Wendy described what play felt like for her in that intro. We're going to listen to it one more time because it sparked an even longer conversation for us. The feeling of creativity and generation like around my heart, like a magnet like pulling me forward. So I'm leaning into whatever it is that there's no resistance and holding back. Mm. And it often involves my hands. There's such beautiful language you use in that, the, the magnet that draws mm-hmm. you in, the letting go of boundaries, but also like restrictive roles where parent and child or mm-hmm. adult, right? You know, that, that uh, there's a freedom in how you talk about play. Mm-hmm. And, and play and creativity are like almost like siblings. They're not quite cousins even. They're like tw- fraternal twin words for me, you know? Okay. Because I feel like as I'm playing, there's some creative element that's a part of it, you know? And you can add music, you can add art, um, improv, you know, you can add all of those to the modalities that I'm gravitating to. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely is like this iterative process between like, the activity of play and the sense and freedom of creativity that comes out of it. And then it fuels you to go back in and be a little bit more playful and maybe push yeah. the envelope a little bit more. 
Yeah. And as you were talking, you were moving your hands in a beautiful way too, that shows that flow between things. Mm -hmm. You talked about where play lives in your body. And sometimes when we think about what we're doing professionally, we might think of our head Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or we might think of our heart and the passion within it. You talked about your hands. Mm. Does play live in a particular part of your body for you? Mm -hmm. I think it starts in my heart and because it feels full and open and rich and alive, Mm. but then it moves through my hands as the way that I express it to the world. Like it comes out through my hands in the doingness of of play. You know, are you playing cards? Are you um, making something, crafting? Are you cooking, right? Like all of the activities that for me happen to be expressed through my hands more than anything. Do you have a favorite way to play right now? I discovered these like pastel pancakes. They're like, like almost like a woman's, you know, makeup kit, like a blush, Mm -hmm. not necessarily women's, but just blush, you know, and um, they come in different colors and I stick my fingers in them. And then I paint using my fingers and it's very visceral. And I'm learning how to, how much pressure to apply to get the look that I want versus how light I can go and still make a mark. Yeah. So it's very exploratory for me to play with that. It feels like a fun combination between what we think of as finger painting as, you know, something very childish, Hmm. but adults often, like, as we think of professional artists, we think of the equipment and the tools, which is actually a separation. And what you've described, I'm going to need to try these now too, because what you've described is it now brings you back in direct contact and what you're describing of being very attuned to the pressure and to mm-hmm. the exact color. Mm-hmm. Um, it does feel like it's a, a beautiful visceral way to be connected in play. Mm-hmm. And because of that bounder, boundaryless aspect that we started talking about, I think the human can go to like, just follow the curiosity, permission granted, like just go and see where it takes you. Now you utilize play, if that's the right verb, when you do your work, that's can be very serious work with organizations and individuals. Mm-hmm. Can you share more about that? I, um, when we do the quote, I have air quotes in my hands right now, air, <laughs> quote, air quote, serious play. I mean, it is serious, right? We're talking about managing change. growing as organizations, making room for more diversity, lots of um, heavier topics. I think the humans that have to do the work or get to do the work have to find a piece of themselves in it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always at the beginning of any engagement, like how do I help people lean in? How do I help them feel safety in the space? How do we bring some lightness so that connection can happen, right? And to kind of fuel that safety. And then we have the container open to then <clears throat> go in at appropriate levels of depth to go into more inquiry and practice together. I've been noticing that spaces like past two containers I've been in, there've been like breakout art sessions, you know, um, nice. 
And then there's been the layering of art. Like, what does art allow us to talk about? You know, what does it allow us to see that we might not have been in contact with before? Beautiful. On your own podcast, I remember hearing you at one point make an analogy that play is in some ways like dance and that you're building a team alignment through the play. Um, and that, that I love that analogy of dance because you can, you can see in a dance, whether it's a partner dance or a group dance or a line dance of different kinds, the connection between people and, and alignment, not where you're doing exactly the same thing, but where you're doing things um, in connection with or compatible with another person. Can you share more about how you were thinking of dance or play in relation to teams? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Again, I, I see teams as the um, aggregate of all the different diverse human beings who happen to be there. And so the shared alignment is the purpose, but sometimes that can just fall flat, right? Like it's, it's mission and purpose, but how do we get that to be like an embodied felt sense within people? Yeah. So the exercises tend to be things that are fun at first and everybody gets to like loosen up and feel safe. And then from there, we invite every voice in the room. And so everything has a way to be as inclusive as possible. Um, I've done a lot of my training through Jenny Sauerklein's Scaling Intimacy program. And I just finished her World Bridgers Mastermind. So in it, it's like intimacy is possible in the corporate yeah. space. And it's possible in virtual spaces. And once we get past that belief system that it's hard or not possible, then we can get into like, okay, what's the appropriate level of vulnerability, Mm. you know, that then uncovers truth that then allows us to name the things that are holding us back. Yeah. Right. And when you talk about safety and vulnerability, I think about how uh, for to really move forward and, um, creating a new project or being innovative, creating something new. Sometimes there is a fear of failure, mm-hmm. um, which stops us. Right. And play gives a different feel, right? But play doesn't doesn't seem to feel as high stakes where mm-hmm. failure would be horrible. Right. When we break work down into smaller chunks, like mm-hmm. we'll, we'll do sprints now that are like 90 days, right? So you have a short amount of time to be all in so that you can like discern and gather information while you're doing it so that you can make tweaks in real time without having to invest so heavily in a year long program or a five year plan or something. Yeah. That's one piece. And then another piece is that, you know, in improv, it's like, there is no failure because there's a chance to add on. And mm. the hard part is how do we move past failure? Yeah. You know, or, or how do we move through the world and think, well, failure's going to happen <laughs> and failure chips in front of me, poker chips, you know, <laughs> and oops, that was just one of them. You know, I'll throw that on the table, Yeah. you know, and how do we move on um, with that kind of a spirit? Right. Yeah. You know, and it's hard because we all come from different backgrounds, like our family, our upbringing, how we're shaped really affects like how perfectionistic we feel like we need to be in order to have the safety or, um, you know, what failure means in different cultures or different family systems. Do you see that also affect how people engage in play? Yeah. I mean, if you're 
behind the, the mirror of, you know, the window of fear of failure, there's a holding back that's in your heart, a holding back in your mm. spirit, a holding back energetically so that you're not really all in. And a play, I think, is an invitation to be all in to something for a short amount of time. And I think, um, you know, a healthy way through that is thinking about it as an experiment. It's a, it's a, a lab for us, right, to um, pilot, experiment, yeah. ideate, learn from. Yeah. Something here for me around like the smaller chunks of smaller containers that feel like safe, manageable, and like what's this, the right size container for a team to feel they can be all in. Right. It, as you're talking about this, it strikes me that that, that could feel very different to somebody than mm-hmm. their regular workday where they ex- are experiencing power dynamics or gender dynamics or, or feel not feeling included, not feeling mm-hmm. that sense of belonging. How do you create that container of play Mm-hmm. in a way that's going to challenge those power dynamics. Mm. Yeah. I mean, games where, I mean, I have a, I have an exercise that is my favorite, one of my favorites. It's are you blindfold them into two teams and I'm giving it all away here. Right. It's like, <laughs> and, you, and you give a rope, like totally knotted up rope to each team. Yeah. Right? And a, one person receives the information of, like the goal is to un- unfurl the rope and then make a shape on the ground with your team and everybody has to be touching it. And so by then you don't know who's on your team. Yeah. You don't know their status, their role, their longevity and all that. And everyone's just is like leaning and working together. And again, it's with your hands. Yeah. So there's this like visceral, like touching, talking, communicating, and you know, they have to find their way through that. Right. Yeah. Um, and you fail. Like, <laughs> as the observers, you know, standing back as the consultants, we, yeah. we watch and, um, and it's fun to see how teams are learning to work together, you know? Yeah. What are some of the long-term impacts you've seen of a team that's willing to come together and, and play together? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can be as simple as the tone of emails change. Because there's not this, like, I need your attention and I need to be heard. There's a trust, like, you're going to see me, even if I'm bringing a really wild idea in. I just want to pause there because that felt so powerful to me to have that shift from, I need to be heard to, I know I will be seen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of a particular offsite where we had two days, two and a half days with a team of eight people. And each exercise required all of them to mix up in different ways. And everyone had to add in, in different ways. And so they got to work, you know, you can cross fertilize so many times with that many people. And so by the end, when they were leaving um, and they played at the end, like they had a wine tasting event, you know, at the very end and we were invited to join along with them. And it just really felt like we were all a cohesive whole unit. But what I heard from them afterwards is that they had some big issues that they had to follow up on, but the emails changed that um, the leader shifted his persona from taking up 80% of the space in his leadership body to listening for 80% time Mm. rather than talking 80% time. And he's noted the change in that for his team. Yeah. Mm. 
that I could see that making a huge difference in an organization when the leader makes that shift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, he's creating an invitation for ideas to come now from elsewhere. And yeah. he also feels less pressure because he doesn't feel like he's carrying the whole weight and responsibility, yeah. right? People want to be involved. Yeah. Do you ever get resistance where you, as you start working with the team are like, Oh no, like we came here to work. We, mm-hmm. you know, aren't going to do this. Mm-hmm. Why do we have to take a breath together right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, there's resistance and I just do a lot of context setting, right? Like I explain with as much transparency and I take maybe five minutes at the start of a workshop and say, this is what we're going to do. It's going to feel uncomfortable. I always bring in the concept of a grown zone, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, we're, here's our starting point. Here's why we're doing it. Here's what might get in the way. It's going to get really uncomfortable because we're going to s- expand out and have um, um, unconstrained brainstorming or, you know, um, it'll feel abstract what we're doing, but it's intentional. And then together as a team, we're going to hit a tipping point. And we're going to come back and make some decisions and ground and center how we're going to leave the exercise or the offsite. Yeah. And so once I introduce a ground zone, I think it helps people know like, oh, I'm going to get uncomfortable. I'm not going to see where this is going. I don't know what the answer is. And those are all mindsets that help us right now in uncertainty, right? Yeah. Like how we are living in a massive ground zone. <laughs> yeah. That sounds so different. That that area of uncomfortableness of the grown zone that feels or that sounds very different from play, flow, energy. You know, like unconstrained. Mm-hmm. What's the relationship between the two? Yeah. Or so, guess why is play uncomfortable for adults? Well, I think play is uncomfortable for adults because we've relegated it in our society as um, childlike behavior or in the realm of childhood, right? And we have to leave it behind in order to grow up and be a grown up. And yet, um, you know, and, and because work is the, in the past nine to five, show up at work, be serious and be productive and get everything done. Um, we don't have that breathing room and the space to bring our whole selves. And so, when you can introduce play for adults and they can actually embody it. Cause when you're playing tag, yeah. you know, or when you're giggling with someone um, or you're doing a big high five around the room, you, you can remember what that felt like viscerally and you can put yourself back there. And so we yeah. can always name that in the ground zone. It's like, okay, take a moment and tap into that sense of play that you have. How can you bring that into this problem solving mode that we're in right now? Right in order to um, ask a different question, allow yourself to think outside of the box, yeah. maybe jump on the bandwagon for a solution that you disagree with, but you're willing to commit to because you feel a connection with the people and you trust what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, do you find that you have to kind of personally prepare yourself to be in a mode of play um, or to create a space for play? No, that's such a great question. Your questions are so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yes. So, um, what, before we go into a facilitation, I usually will ground with my co-facilitator and what that looks like is, you know, 
standing eye to eye, maybe heart to heart, and just like saying, I'm here. What's the outcome that you see? What's the outcome that I see? You know, a word, a feeling, check in, right? So that as humans, we're connected together. And we've done this actually with the CEOs or the C team before they're in a bigger meeting. We pull them out and it's not like holding hands or kumbaya, but like we stand in a circle together and say, hey, what's your vision of a successful outcome here? You know, what would that feel like in your body? And then we go in with kind of that alignment. Um, and, and, and I guess also trust because that trust lets us push the envelope and be a little bit emergent to catch whatever might show up. That's unexpected, which also happens all the time. Yeah. I, I appreciate what you just identified in play as the starting point being connection. And you also have identified connection in some ways as the outcome. Right. That Mm -hmm. after that play, there is a different level of connection between the people have played who have played together. Mm -hmm. When there's connection and people know that you truly can care about each other, a lot can get done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot gets done. So have you ever had a play fail where you've introduced a game or play into something and ooh, like it did not work? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I'm thinking of an example. I, I mean, I, we pivot a lot, right? So that may be like, mm, are we on the road to failure? And mm-hmm. let's pivot, you know? So we're um, quite good at, at like moving in real time and shifting things around on an offsite um, in real time. You know, I'm very aware and really setting a high bar for myself to do no harm when we do DEIB work, diversity, equity, and inclusion, belonging Mm -hmm. work, Mm -hmm. because you might have the greatest intentions and design it out and then inadvertently center the people of color in the space so that the learning is happening on by the spotlight on their experience, which is not the way to do it. So I would say there's one time when I was doing the Horatio Alger privilege walk, but in a virtual setting, and the way it was designed is that if it applied to you, you stayed on screen. If it didn't apply to you, you turned your video off. So you're left with the faces of the people. But unfortunately, some of those were the reverse. Mm. You know, so that the, vo- the faces that stayed were very, very few, and they were mostly the people of color. And yeah. that's not the way to do that. So, how did you recover from that? Because sometimes people might be like, "Oh, yeah, I don't want to." I don't want to play because I'm afraid it will do harm or I'm afraid it will not go well, or people will be really resistant. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way you've described play though, there's a fluidity, there's that connection. And so I imagine that there is that space. You've even used the word pivoting to respond in the moment in a different way. You know, how did you respond with that? Once I saw it happening, you know, as soon as the exercise was over and everybody was back in the room and we were going to do a debrief anyway, I started the debrief with, I did notice that, you know, we're centering the learning here of this whole group on the people of color who were a big part of that last exercise. And so I want to just name that, you know, and offer a direct message to me or something in the chat, whatever feels right and comfortable for anyone to either acknowledge that or express gratitude or to have a private conversation.
The unfortunate truth is that play fails are always a risk. So I appreciate Wendy's willingness to talk us through not only the fact that it happens, but how to recover, how to pivot, how to make sure that even as we're navigating this, we keep the people we are serving center in heart and mind. Wendy and I ended our conversation talking about this particular moment and what it means for us in relation to play. Because of the conversations that I'm in a lot about who made up the rules that we play by, right? Like somewhere those rules came down the pipe as the way that modern humans behave. And and, and we, we bought into it. And so there is a opportunity to start unwinding that now, you know, as we have this awareness and as constructs are changing and the way of work is changing, like how do we grab the spotlight and say play is allowed, that play is vital. Yeah. And what keeps me going, I think, is that, um, you know, as I move my body through time, like there will come a time when I won't be feeling the things that I get to feel in my body. My body will no longer be here. And so, gosh, how much joy and play and power and service, right? Like how much can I um, be a part of enlivening, you know, what's happening in the world? Yeah. Uh, That moves me, you know, and I see that in you too. Yeah. I, I look forward to the days when we, um, when we don't see play as just the release from or Mm -hmm. like escape or recovery, but where there is a greater recognition that play is vital to Mm -hmm. creating things together, which is in many ways what work is. Right. Right. I recently blocked out Saturdays on my calendar and, and I'm not taking coaching clients. I'm not doing work. I'm just allowing myself to wake up that morning and decide what is it that I want to do. Ah, and, love it. And, and skew it towards play, right? Not like, what is it? What did I want to do? I'm going to go sit down and write that blog post now. <laughs> Unless it, play, it feels playful. But um, yeah, that's, I think that's yeah. going to be really helpful to me. Yeah. Yeah. To it. That's a beautiful way to think about your, your Saturdays in a, mm-hmm. in a very different way that is feeding your heart and your mind and your, your engagement in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. So what are ways that people can stay connected with you? LinkedIn is a great way. I'm very responsive there. I also can be found on Instagram. Um, I'm less active there and you can find me at intunecollective.com, which is the consulting and coaching practice. We work with teams and organizations and, and you have a podcast too, right? I have a podcast too called The Business of Being Human. Before we end the conversation, mm-hmm. could you leave our listeners with one invitation to play at work? Ooh, awesome. Um, and I'm going to leave this for a team. The Perfect. Team. Hmm. It's called a brain fry. And it's like an opener. It can be an energizer. It can be something you do to start a meeting. And it's called three things. So if you're in person, you stand in a circle. If you're on Zoom or some other, you um, change your name to a number. Okay. So you'll know that number one's going to go and then number two is going to go right after. 
And the, the key essence here is speed. The way it works is everyone makes a fist with their right hand and you pound it into your left hand. And at the same time, everyone says three things. And Mary, I would say to you, name three things you can do to your teeth. <laughs> and then the first three things that come up in your mind, whether they're actual things, they don't have to be true. They don't have to be right. They just have to be fast out of your brain. That's where the silliness comes from. You could paint them. You could gnash them. You could tell jokes about them. One, two, three. Awesome. And then right away we go, three things. And then you can say it to the next person around you. We keep going. Oh, I love that. Very fun. You get to learn a little bit about people. You learn about what's silly to someone. You get to learn where the boundaries are. Because sometimes people do something and it goes a little bit risque or it Ooh. goes a little bit erudite where it's like name three three concertos you know composed by concerto number one concerto number two <laughs> concerto number three <laughs> exactly <laughs> but hopefully people can remember that and give it a shot and just yeah. and it's okay to make mistakes when you're doing it it's okay to make mistakes because play is includes the I mean, mistake sounds harsh, but it's, but it play includes imperfection. Imperfection. Right? Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was really a wonderful conversation. I love playing with you, Wendy. I love playing with you too, Mary. Thank you so much. Wendy is my final guest for this season of Lead with a Dash of Play. But this isn't the final episode of the season. I have so enjoyed speaking to each one of my guests, and this podcast was born out of pure curiosity. So what started as simply the desire to redefine play for professional spaces and look for where we could bring a bit more playfulness into those lives, it ended with recognizing that play is a leadership skill. In the final episode, we'll explore this journey using both clips from the various guests that I've had and sharing some of my own thinking. Plus, I'll include a few pieces which didn't quite make it into the guest episode, but which are, are really lovely to be able to share with you. Thank you for being on this journey with me and listening to the Lead with a Dash of Play podcast. Reza Zaidi and Joanna Stevens created and provided the beautifully playful and reflective music you hear in this podcast. The song is titled Holding Rain.